This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. The subject matter of today's podcast might make some of you feel uncomfortable, particularly our male listeners. For those of you who consider turning off, I would urge you to stay the course. The topic of discussion today concerns basic human rights and the right we each have to celebrate our bodies and the wonderful things it is capable of. In a world where men have been largely responsible for designing and developing the products that are supposed to make our lives easier, it's no question that women's needs have often been left on the back burner. For generations, major underwear brands have let women and girls down not acknowledging their everyday needs and normal bodily functions. My guest today is the woman who essentially changed the underwear market forever with what women needed right at the fore. I'm Shirley Chowdhury, the host of the Women's Agenda podcast, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I talk with Christy Chong, the founder and CEO of Modi Body, a brand that has pioneered period and incontinence apparel designed for girls, women, and people of all ages, from babies to our elderly. Now a global company, Modi Body, with Christy at the helm, has bravely disrupted the existing underwear, apparel, and disposable hygiene market and helped to open up conversations and shift taboos around periods, incontinence, and in the process, women's health. I'd like to start today by acknowledging that we are on land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm on Kamaregal land of the Eora Nation and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And Christy, which land are you on? Do you know? Yes, I'm in Balmain in Sydney, so Gadigal land. So we pay our respect to Gadigal Elders past, present and emerging and thank them for all the work they've done over the last millennia to look after this great land. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. There's so many topics that I'd like to cover, but let's start with Modi Body. There's a lot of evidence that women traditionally don't prioritise their own health. We tend to put everybody else's care before ours. And as a result of that, I think, and the fact that typically businesses have been run by men for decades, women's health hasn't seen a great deal of innovation prior to the last 10 years. How did you come up with your idea for Modibody? Yes, yeah, so that is so true. And the idea around Modibody actually came from my own personal experience. So I had two children. I was living in Seattle and I'd started training for a marathon and my periods had, you know, not long returned. And I had started to experience some light bladder leaks as a mum of two. And on one of those training runs, I realised that the options available to me and to many other women were both, you know, pretty uncomfortable, irritating, and didn't give me a lot of dignity, let alone being so damaging to the environment. And and Seattle's a very organic place. And I suppose that and having all that time training, it just, I think we're on the precipice of change then around sustainability. I started to become more aware. And, you know, that thought led me to the fact that I think we're also surrounded by tech as well. Why haven't we developed something better for us to manage our periods or light incontinence? And when you say it, it seems so obvious. <laughs> I know. You know, I remember when I first looked at Modi Body and I thought, why hasn't somebody thought of that? Like it is such an obvious idea. I guess the best ideas are like that. And and they very much are. And I think for the 50 years 
prior, the developments in the period product space have been very, very limited. And and we all know that the, the original developments with tampons and pads were developed by men and the way they were positioned was using, you know, blue liquid. It was very much about medicalizing the problem and, you know, because it's a problem. And, you know, at Modi Body, we're, we're not about that at all. So, yeah, that's how it all sort of became a simple idea. And from that idea, I spoke to my partner who was actually very supportive and, and said to me, if you're going to do this, you've got to take a scientific approach. And over the next 18 months, I um, developed the technology behind our flagship underwear. So while you are out there, you've got this idea, you're thinking about building this company, you're out there talking to people and, and spruiking your idea. I imagine that there are some conversations that you had where you walked away and just shook your head. <laughs> Were there just so many of those or did you find that the people you talked to were generally receptive? Well, when it got to launching the product, I usually found there was one of two responses. One was, oh, similar to yours. Wow, why hadn't anyone thought about that before? Or the other one was like, oh, yeah, how does that work? So, um, but in the product development stage and the exploration stage, I feel that I had really positive responses. I'm pretty tenacious, I suppose. So if someone couldn't help me, I asked them, you know, do they know anybody in this space or who would they recommend I speak to? In those days, I wasn't necessarily talking about menstrual fluid and, and urine to those people. I was seeking fibres that I knew would do what they needed to do, be odour resistant, kill bacteria, be absorbent, moisture wicking, all those sorts of things. So maybe that's why it wasn't as tough. Tell us about your journey before you started Modibody. Do you think your journey prior to this set you up for this business and helped you build the skills for it? Yes, I do. So I actually worked in a lot in public relations and communications and in the health space majority of my career. And I think in my early days, I worked in agencies. So that taught me a lot about budgeting, time efficiencies. Yeah, I think that was very important. And then I obviously moved into large multinationals, so pharmaceuticals and then actually McDonald's. So that experience, I got to see and be involved with all the departments and understand what the operations team did, the IT team did, the finance. So I got to see how a big corporation worked, the pros and cons of that. So I believe that really did help. It also taught me about strategic writing and planning, which I think is very important for for setting up your own business. I mean, some might argue otherwise, but for me, it was helpful. I think we've talked to a few CEOs where they say they kind of gathered skills as they went, so they were in the right place to set up their own business. As I was doing research for this podcast, I came across some really interesting stories and it struck me how the language that is used in relation to menstrual products and periods in general, you know, on the one hand, you've got products like yours that are celebrating the fact that women have children and celebrating our anatomy and what we can do. And on the other hand, there are still words like shame and disgust and kind of words used in relation to um, menstrual flow. One story that stuck with me, which will resonate with you because you're a runner, in the 2017 London Marathon. Did you hear this story about a woman running? Yes. So for those people out there who don't know the story, a woman who was running got her period on the morning she was running the marathon and didn't want to wear a pad or a tampon. There was no place to change to go to the toilet on the way. So she let the blood run down her legs and she was celebrated on one hand, but she was shamed for that as well. I guess now in your business, you are working with people who celebrate like you. But do you still come across those attitudes? Less so, I'll be really honest. Definitely in the early days. But having said that, we did. So less so with a lot of micro influences that we speak to, 
and a lot of print media that we talked to as well. But where we did get some pushback was last year, we ran a campaign called The New Way to Period and we used red liquid to represent real blood and we displayed that on disposable pads and on sheets and also, you know, being washed in the shower, also trickling down in the shower. And, um, yeah, that was banned by Facebook for being too sensationalised for them. So they said we were sensational and graphic, basically. Were you surprised by that? Oh, absolutely surprised. Very, very shocked. Um, You know, all we are trying to do is normalise what 800 million people globally experience. And it, it can be icky. And that's the reality. And we're trying to show, you know, this can happen to people. Yeah, I thought that was quite shocking. I mean, this is what I say to people, most likely that the person next to you is bleeding from their vagina. So uh, (laughs) um, the reality is that's going on and we're used to it. I'm used to it. It's part of my life. It's not gross or shameful, but as I said, it can be annoying and a bit uncomfortable because you get pain, but we really just wanted to normalise what, as I said, 800 million people globally experience and um, Facebook banned it. Having said that, we got a lot of PR and press and a lot of support from media and that was great influences and they eventually overturned it. So that's really good. So we know going forward that we'll be able to have red liquid and that won't be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a journey, isn't it? You know, years ago, we didn't talk about childbirth and we we didn't openly discuss women having babies and then it was breastfeeding and hopefully this is the last bastion of women's bodies that we're happy to talk about. Yes, I think bodily leaks. um, Obviously, there's been the whole body positivity movement for women. I think that's amazing and obviously we've got lots of champions wearing our brand and, you know, that's great. But bodily leaks, it's the next thing. It's the thing we're trying to break down. So we're doing it with periods and the next part is obviously um, incontinence because that's a huge thing that one in three women face and one in 10 men by the time they're 50. So we we need to talk about those discussions as well. Do you do a men's line? We do. We do a men's line and we recently launched a range of nappies for babies as well. And we also have some maternity clothes that we've just launched. So we're, we are trying to open up those conversations, interesting about the postpartum experience. And you'll see a great campaign that we're aligning with Getty over the next week or so to really put out into the world some real life imagery around what the postpartum experience is. So again, we're trying to bring that authenticity and the real and raw into these experiences around our bodies and, and what happens. Yeah, it's so important. It's so important. On your website, you talk about small impact, big change. Tell us a little bit about kind of the climate impact of pads and tampons, and which I don't think many of us are aware of. Yeah, look, it's one thing that we can change because now there's a product like Modi Body. And so while we're not going to solve all of the carbon issue problems, this can have change because if you took the 800 million people and if they were using disposables in their lifetime, that's just for periods, it's 11,000 items. One pack of pads has five plastic bags in it. It's made up of 90% plastic. Even when it breaks down after 500, 800 years, it breaks down and those small parts end up going into our land and it impacts the biodiversity because of the toxins in plastic, let alone the fact that thousands of tampons and applicators are flushed down waterways. In fact, in the UK alone, there's a stat that's 28,000 per day tampon applicators are fished out of the oceans. Quite unbelievable. And also in the UK, there's a great stat around the amount of feminine hygiene waste, so 200,000 tonne per year of feminine hygiene waste that ends up in landfill. They're three times our size, so that's about 70,000 tonne in Australia. 
significant. In fact, we've actually just conducted a life cycle assessment to scientifically prove our products are better than disposables from an environmental perspective. So not only from waste, we all know that, but we've absolutely been able to show that by switching to Modibody, you reduce carbon emissions by 70% compared to a disposable. So I'm really proud of that. And we also learned that through that journey, what we can do as a business to improve on our products and the textiles we choose to use. So yeah, it's a massive issue. And I think when I created this brand, I wanted to give people a very simple solution because sometimes in the sustainability world, it's complex. <laughs> but, you know, with our undies, you just need to wear them, you know, rinse, wash, hang them to dry and repeat. So it's not that hard. And we're doing something really positive for the environment while we do it. Yeah. And the only thing that you need to do is get over the fact you might have to rinse the blood. You know, um, I actually find people, we've got a lot of customers say, I found it a bit weird at the start, but after a while I felt empowered by that experience because I realised that's part of, you know, being a menstruating person. So yeah, that whole marketing campaign around, you know, using tampons to block it up. It's all about that shame, I believe, that you know, we shouldn't see, we shouldn't touch it. And for the pad wearers out there, they should have no problem because I'm like, there's blood on a piece of white material, right? Come on, get over yourselves, people. (laughs) Yes, I guess a lot of that comes from, you know, ancient religions that segregated women when they had their period. Even now, there are cultures where women, when they've got their period, have to sit in a separate room, can't see the men, the clothes can't mix. So that shame, that kind of idea of shame still lingers. It does. Yeah, the cultural taboos and shame. And, you know, we know, unfortunately, in in our Indigenous communities, reports put out by the University of Queensland, it shows that in those communities, there's obviously an issue of period poverty worldwide. um, But in those communities, it's even higher because the cultural barriers don't allow them to talk about menstruation. So then they don't even have access to products. But I'm seeing more and more organisations championing change, even in places like India, where, you know, young girls are saying enough's enough, let's create change. So in Australia, I think we've come a long way in developing worlds and we just need to work on those communities like the Indigenous communities and then these other countries where that cultural shame still exists. I mean, period poverty is such an issue. Scotland's the world's first country to mandate free menstrual product for women. Uh, New Zealand followed in hot pursuit. And I think in Australia, South Australia and Victoria have been trialling it, as has um, New South Wales. We've got a long way to go, though. I I volunteered for a a homeless outfit, Orange Sky, and we hand out free menstrual products when young girls or women come along. But when you can't afford a place to live and you're struggling for food, then menstrual products are just an expense that you don't have money to spend on. We've obviously become a lot more aware of period poverty. I know you've got a process where when people spend money with Body, a portion of that, each dollar goes towards giving out free underwear. But why is it so important? It's so important because it's a basic human right to have access to a menstrual product you have access to toilet paper, (laughs) you know, why not access to a product that can protect you and give you more dignity? To hear and learn about those women and young girls out there who are using newspapers and dirty rags, putting their lives at risk, really, it's shameful. You know, at Modi Body, we believe first in getting those people some form of product. I think my issue with a disposable product, of course, there's a sustainability aspect, which is not great, but you want them to get a product in the first hand. The other problem with the disposable is it's a one-off product. 
So the anxiety they then face around, okay, thanks, I've got something for this month. What about next month? So we need to fix that problem. And, um, you know, we want to engage with government because it's great they're all giving away free products, but we, even people with disabilities, they can't use some of those products. So there is a place for a reusable product to be there. But when we have been involved in tenders, we were told by a certain statewide government that, oh, no, no, you, you weren't successful because you weren't a disposable pad or tampon. So we've got a lot of education of government to do, which I'm not want to make this a political discussion, but I know as a brand, we want to push and champion that as well as while at, at the same time right now, there is a product, we still need to get any product into these hands of people who cannot afford it because you're right, they have to choose food first. So we have to move and shift the dial together. So let's talk about your journey a little bit, Christy. You were, in the last few days, you were awarded the Bold Woman Award at the (laughs) Clicko Business Awards. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Your leadership philosophy and the courage that you've shown in building Modibody where does that come from? Have you observed people before you you worked with? Did it come from parents? How, where do you think it came from? That's such a good question. I try and work that out myself. <laughs> I think it really was driven by this desire to give people and the world a better product that has just ignited that tenacity, that persistence in me. Having said that, I've learned along the way some of my strengths are problem solving and activation. And and I've always been a high achiever. So that's a big part of it. I think coupled with the right idea, it just seems to have worked. So my parents, you know, one was an executive assistant and and other one a plumber working at the local council. So having said that, my mum has always given me every opportunity. So she had me in, you know, piano and dancing and netball and always supportive of just getting out there and giving things a go. So I think that's helped. And, you know, I'm very grateful. And she wanted us to go to university when she had children at 16. So she was all about breaking the cycle that she was in. So maybe I felt like I had to prove myself. And I've always felt I've had to prove myself to myself rather than prove myself for any type of ego. It's more about my own internal wish and desire to do something good. So maybe that's where it's come from. So as you were building Body, even now, did you have a voice in your head telling you it was such a bad idea and you shouldn't bother or was a voice in your head always telling you it was a great idea and kind of pushing you forward? Yeah, I mean, I had, I've had i had moments of breaking down and maybe I should give up, but majority of the time it's been like that's a day or a night and then you get over it and I'm going, wow, gosh, it just spurs me on to do better and if that person rejected me, I'm like, I'm going to show you. <laughs> I'm going to get over that hurdle. So I think there's a little bit of, um, and I'll be honest, this fiery anger that comes through from me um, and I don't like defeat. But, you know, I have failed. There's been little failures along the way. But, yeah, I think ultimately I'm, I'm driven to sort of fix it. And I said that problem solving, I, I always believe there's another way to do something. Something's not working right now. What's the next thing? Do you think you needed those failures along the way to get the successes? Not necessarily did I I'd need them. I think they were just part of the journey. I don't necessarily think they've defined me. No, fair enough. One of the things that we're talking about on this podcast with our guests is how to lead for the next decade. Like, you know, we've just coming through a pandemic or we're in lockdown as we speak, but the world has had to realign itself in the last 18 months, really looking for different ways to do things. So whether it's hybrid working or working remotely or measuring productivity when you can't see your staff, what are the lessons you think we need to take forward in the next decade as we set up businesses, as we look to do things differently? 
Yeah, I'm a big believer in authentic leadership. So, you know, I, I think who I am at work is who I am at home. And so that's very important. I'm a big believer in driving business results but with collaboration. And obviously that is harder. You know, I, I do believe in some form of hybrid model. I'm, I'm not a big believer of full-time. I mean, we have to do it right now, obviously with lockdown in Sydney, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in some hybrid model because you just need that little bit of staff spirit and those spontaneous moments where you come up with ideas together. So I'm a bit of like a half-half. Time at home is fantastic for great outputs and clearing people's minds, but being on Zoom day in, day out, it's just I just don't think that's healthy for us. So, you know, I think as a leader as well in the new age, it's about empathetic leadership. And so, you know, trying to listen to your customers, listen to your staff and empathise where they're at instead of just trying to push them to do things and meet your agenda. So I think that's the style of leadership that I follow. Like I'm not about clock watching either, so I think that's important. It's about if you have clear business objectives and you mentor your staff to get there, I think you get the outcomes and and that's what I do with my staff. I'm always very clear on what their outcomes should be and how we get there, not how do you just do it on your own, how do we get there, what are the resources you need, what does the business need to get this over the line in the period that we need it to. I think what you've just said will resonate with our listeners, absolutely. But I was talking to somebody this morning and she was saying that what she's missing in lockdown are those serendipitous little moments where, you know, you're having lunch and you meet somebody new and an idea sparks or you go to a meeting and somebody's there who you really click with and something comes out of that collaboration. Um, And it's those things because at the moment our lives are so orchestrated. Yes. And the reality is of our, you know, our meetings on Teams, if you interject, it just becomes this horrible, oh, everyone be quiet. So no one then wants to contribute as much, I believe, because of that. And so the people who are naturally more introverted will not get hurt even more so. And I, and I believe like as a leader, I'm a, I'm, always, I'm a very conscious leader. That's a leadership style that I try to encourage in my leadership team. It's like we need to listen to everybody and ask for their opinions and draw them out. It's just very easy to have your own voice heard all the time. So yeah, it becomes an echo chamber. It does. And I'm always like, challenge me, challenge me. <laughs> Do you think um, COVID's made it harder for leaders because you've got to look for so many more things. So you've got to look on the Zoom for who's not speaking and make sure they have a voice. You've got to think about which of your team might live by themselves and might be more prone to mental health issues because their living room is their study, is their workplace, is their lounge room, is their everything. Do you think it's put more burden on leaders to make sure that they're looking out for everyone? Yeah. I mean, I hate to consider it a burden to check in on your staff. but there does require more time. So you have to have those daily catch-ups. And I and I think we do notice this is the second time staff morale does drop. Funny, I think the first time among those with parents, less so. I think there was a little bit, oh, this is great. But I think this time around it's happening again. And I think because we went straight into having school from home, they're just, I can't go through it again. So I'm seeing it. I feel like this second time around, there's a different view on it to the first. I think people also knew what was coming. You know, it's harder to look forward to it when you know what's coming. Christy, um, a few weeks ago, or actually in May, you announced that you implemented paid menstrual menopause and miscarriage leave. Tell us what led to that and why, how your staff reacted. Yeah, the decision... Um, behind that was based on the fact there are 
so many people who are experiencing um, physical and mental pain in relation to a very normal monthly problem being menstruation or menopause, which is pretty normal. And a lot of women or most women go through it, whether they have symptoms or not, not everyone does. Um, and then miscarriage, which is an unexpected bodily symptom. So they're all either normal bodily symptoms or unexpected. So being aware of that, I didn't feel it was right that you have to use sick leave um, in the first place when you have that every month for some people. Beyond that, we also wanted to, I mean, a part of our mission at Modi Body is to open conversations and to normalise all conversations around bodily leaks, menstruation and women's health. And so this is a, another step in doing that because it allows our employees to go to their direct reports and their managers and say, um, you know, I'm having a physical problems. So, you know, and I want to stay at home. I either want to stay at home or I'm going to take the day off. And they won't feel shamed or um, vilified for that, which I think in some work workforces is such a guilt for women to stand up and say, you know, I've got this problem, they feel really bad. And yet I know from our employees, it was received extremely positively. Some people have accessed it. Um, and the feedback is, you know what, Christy, what this does, it gives me more confidence and I'm more loyal to Modi Body. And they come back and they give 200%. So they're not dropping the ball, which people go, oh, you know, they're just lazy and dropping the ball. No, no, those employees are going to come back and give more to the company. And so that's why we did it. I can't tell you. So I've gone through menopause and I can't tell you how many meetings I was in when I was going through it uh, with men in a mainly male dominated area where my jacket would come off 10 times in a meeting. I'd be pouring with sweat. My blouse would be wet by the end of the meeting. And having leave like this would have normalised that as one of the few women in that team and would have allowed me to say, actually, you know what, I am just having a really bad day today, so I just I can't work. Whereas instead there was always, when it happened, everybody kind of put their heads down and didn't look at me no, and, you know, there was... Terrible. A, yeah, people don't know how to react. No, and I think the, the, the other issue is that, you know, you're pushing through that pain. So, you know, whether you're getting the best out of your staff at that time anyway, like... It, I mean, why should we make people push through? It's debilitating. It's terrible when you're experiencing those level of symptoms. Um, just give them a day off. Let them work from home, whatever suits them. And as I said, they'll come back firing. So um, that's why it's not about from us at Modi Body or my leadership style, you've got to be here nine to five. No, it shouldn't be like that. And the future of work shouldn't be either. Um, we need to find, yes, I get we all, there's got to be times where we need to be in the office, but I think we can get more flexibility around the whole way we work and what suits your lifestyle. For me as a, as a mum of four, you know, I've had to have flexibility and build that into my life. So, but it doesn't mean I don't log on between 8.30 and 11 and do work some nights. Uh, for others, I might say, oh, that's just burnout and that's bad, but that suited me because then I can, you know, I can go away and I can go and see my children in that event that they're in or I don't feel guilty and and I do encourage that among our staff and you know if you're caring for someone or you're the main carer at home that can be such a burden those types of hours on someone instead of just talking it through and personalizing just like we do with our website and we personalize the shopping experience we need to personalize the the um the work experience no, I agree and I think it's about choice everybody wants to work differently yes. um what works for you won't work for me and I love working at night because it means that I can attend my son's trumpet lesson or yes. pick him up at three o'clock. And actually, I used to put in my diary, picking up Kean yes. at three, 
so people knew that I was just not available. Yeah, I um, do the same thing as well. So yeah, yeah, I speak very it. honestly about it so that the other staff members know they can do that and, again, not feel shamed um, or embarrassed about actually wanting to be have a career and want to be part of your child's life. It should be fine. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The miscarriage leave you've got, Christy, does that apply to both partners? Is it a physical, is it for physical leave or is it emotional as well? Well, yes, it's for physical leave, but that's because we don't, we only have one man um, okay. in our organisation at this stage. So if we ex expand that, then we will probably, you know, look at the policy. Um, uh, and that gentleman's already had children and is not looking to have more. So, um, yeah, should that change and our employees, we get more men, we, we'd look at it. And the same for, you know, I know there was um, some pushback on a leave saying it should be for chronic health leave. And again, I will review that in context. Um, if if someone comes to me in, and one of our staff says, I've got a chronic health condition, can we look at extending this to chronic health? We'll, we'll review the policy in, in that light. Christy Chong, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on the Women's Agenda Leadership Lessons. It's been such a pleasure. I wish you only the best for Modi Body. It is such an important product. You're doing such great work. And hopefully all these discussions will help normalise uh, what we think and how we talk about women's bodies and the issues that we face. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great discussion. Every one of us, regardless of our age, race, geographic location or socioeconomic circumstances, deserve the right to manage our bodies without shame or stigma. For centuries, women have not always been free to do this. Through her leadership at Modi Body, Christy Chong is changing the conversation and is part of the growing consumer market addressing not just women's needs, but previously taboo subjects like periods and incontinence. Through her innovation, Christy is also opening up a space where we can finally talk about really important issues like period poverty and the need for governments to address basic women's needs as a human right. It's been incredibly liberating to have this conversation today with Christy, and I hope it helps us all become more comfortable with conversations on these topics that have previously been considered taboo. The Leadership Lessons podcast is produced by the very talented Alison Ho and made possible through the support of Salesforce. You can contact us via Women's Agenda or me, Shirley Chowdhury, anywhere on social media. Women's Agenda comes out every weekday and you can read it and subscribe at womensagenda.com.au. Stay well and stay safe during these challenging times. See you next week. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.